Welcome to the podcast with all your mind, hosted by me, Rachel Grimm. We're here to help understand the Bible with cultural and historical context, linguistic info, and other cool stuff. Enjoy. Hey, good afternoon, guys. This is Rachel, and this is With All Your Mind. We're doing yet another episode on... um, this isn't a name this time, so I guess we're we're switching things up a tiny bit. Of we have been doing the names of God. You know, we went through the compound names El Shaddai, El Elyon, and the the Lords, which was Kyrios and Adonai and Yahweh and Jehovah. Now we're moving on to something that's related, but a little bit different. That's because we have been talking about the names of God. Now we're going to be talking about one specific role that God, or rather Jesus in particular, took and is talked about all the way through the Bible. That may have already tipped you off to what we're talking about, the Messiah, the Christ, the Mashiach. All three of those words mean the exact same thing, but that's what we're going to talk about today and in the next episode, actually. This is a two-parter. I had a really hard time trying to figure out how to organize all the information I had for this because there's just so many ways of looking at the Messiah and how to talk about what a Messiah is or what he does and who decides that and all this stuff. So I had to figure out a good way to kind of organize my information and I didn't realize it, but I was looking at it as two different Messiahs. Don't let that get you nervous. We have one Messiah, but by we, I mean Christians. Christians have one Messiah. I didn't realize that when I was studying and doing a lot of research that I needed to organize my thoughts into a Jewish Messiah and a Christian Messiah. And so what we're going to do is this episode, we're going to look at the Christian Messiah, who is Jesus. Um, In Christianity, we believe that the Messiah already came. He is revealed. He is um, spoken of by the prophets of the Old Testament and that we are in in an intermediary period of he has already come once and he'll come again. And so it's kind of like this huge window of time that's already happened, 2,000 years between when Jesus came the first time and the second time. And we don't know when he's coming a second time. So our idea of a Messiah is one that has already come. So he has mostly fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament about the Messiah, but not all of them are fulfilled because he's coming again a second time. And when he does that, all of the prophecies of the Old Testament will be fulfilled. Now, that is not the same as what the Jews are looking for because they have the Old Testament prophecies because they have the Hebrew Bible is just the Old Testament, okay? What they are looking forward to is somebody to fulfill all of the prophecies because they don't have a different picture of coming once and then coming again. They have the idea that all of the prophecies of the Old Testament about the Messiah are going to be fulfilled all at one time. That changes a lot of things about what they're expecting. There's a lot of other little differences between the Jewish Messiah and the Christian Messiah, including how many figures it might be 
in Christianity, we know Jesus is the Messiah. He is the only one that is the Messiah. Anybody else that comes and says, I'm the Messiah, it's like, no, no, you're not. You're just being weird. So in, in Jewish thinking, there may not be one particular person that might be the Messiah. There might be several people to fill that role because it is a very <laughs> complicated role. You know, so what we're going to do this episode, we're going to talk about the Christian Messiah. In the next episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Jewish Messiah and how things get a little bit more wonky if you do not take for granted that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, so we're going to dive in and I'm going to give you a little bit of an introduction again about what the Jewish Messiah is. And then we will go back to the Christian Messiah and just stick with that for the whole rest of the episode. Okay. So in the Jewish Bible, which is the Old Testament, the first 39 books of the Bible, the, it's called the Tanakh in, in Hebrew. And that's actually an acronym for the three different types of writings in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Old Testament. The, the Torah, which is the law, the Nevi'im, which is the prophets, and the Kotvim, which is the writings, the anything else, the anything else category. So when you say Tanakh, it's kind of like saying the TNC, the rest, the, it's the Bible. Um, but that's what the Hebrew Bible is called in Hebrew, the Tanakh. Um, so in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, in the Jewish Bible, the Hebrew Bible, what they are looking for as a Messiah is some kind of great figure or figures, maybe more than one, that brings reconciliation to the Jewish tribes, that crushes Israel's enemies, and brings peace and prestige to Israel. Because if you think about it, they'll be in their, in their glory days, in a position of power that's better than one that they've had in a very long time. It, it kind of goes back to the time of David when he was king over Israel. That was the height of Israel's political power. And that's kind of the idea of the messianic age. Whenever the Messiah comes is the messianic age. So it's kind of like, ah, oh, Israel will be back at its, at its peak. All right, so that's the general idea. And we'll talk about that more in the next episode of the Jewish Messiah. Uh, now we're okay we're switching over going to a whole new topic in some ways the christian messiah first of all you have to establish that the christian messiah number one hundred percent no doubt about it is jesus and the christian bible which includes the old testament which is the hebrew bible and the new testament um, plays different roles in how we see the messiah the Old Testament lays out prophecies that look forward to the coming of one great Messiah figure who would fulfill all the prophecies that refer to a great leader or king who would restore Israel and all of humanity to God. So that's what the Old Testament looks like when we're talking about the Messiah. It has a bunch of prophecies all throughout the Old Testament. And they lead to one individual person that is going to restore Israel and humanity to God. The New Testament in our Bible introduces Jesus as the Messiah. 
and interprets the many messianic prophecies that we have in the Old Testament for us and shows us how Jesus fulfills those prophecies. Okay? So we're going to keep on going with that New Testament perspective that shows us how the Old Testament is talking about the Messiah. First, we're going to define what, a, what is a Messiah, though. We have this term. We only really use it in the Bible and about Jesus if you're a Christian. There's really no other context for the word Messiah or um, Christ. Um, I think we have it maybe in like art, like a, a Christ-like figure or a Messiah figure, but they're really just talking about... Um, somebody that looks like Jesus, but in a more political way. Okay, so a Messiah, Messiah is the Hebrew, but more originally, Mashiach is the Hebrew for anointed. And so we have this group of meanings, anointed, anointed one, to anoint, just the same way that there's a group of meanings in English, we have these words. But Messiah, Christ, Mashiach, all of those words mean the same thing. They mean the anointed one. And anointed, the basic meaning for that, just like what are you, what are you talking about, is smearing with oil or perfume, like to kind of like rubbing on with lotion or um, applying, you know, using the technical term, we apply cosmetics, we apply lotion, we apply um, topical medicines or topical ointments, right? Anointing is applying or smearing or rubbing on. But what it is, is there's three different uh, reasons why you would anoint somebody. Uh, we are going to only talk about one of those three reasons in this episode. We'll talk about the other two a little bit more in the next episode. But the one that we're specifically talking about when we're talking about a Messiah is that you could be anointed, you could have oil or perfume, but for this case, oil rubbed on you as a symbolic action. And that was to set apart or consecrate or dedicate or inaugurate somebody into a political or priestly role or office. So to be a Messiah, a Messiah is a role. That is the role, the role of a Messiah, the role of a Christ. It is not a name. It's a role. So an anointed one is somebody that is set apart for a particular role. Um, we see this in two different ways in the Old Testament. In Exodus, you will see how priests are anointed. And even in the temple and in the uh, tabernacle, stuff is anointed. Um, but we won't, <laughs> we're not going to get into that. But, you know, um, Aaron and his sons were anointed to become priests in the tabernacle. Before there was even a temple, there was the tabernacle. And Aaron and his sons were dedicated. They're like, you are the guys. There's no other guys. You are the guys to fill this role. And you are now set apart. And they had, you know, a lot of rules that they had to follow. Like priests couldn't marry divorced women. 
um, they couldn't uh, go to funerals or be around a dead body of somebody other than an immediate family member. Even if it was their sister's husband, they couldn't defile themselves. They were supposed to be in a very specific role that had very tight parameters on what they could do, even where they could live, and all these kinds of things. And the, the, the reason was because they were anointed. They were dedicated to a particular job, a particular role, and they had to act in certain ways to maintain the sanctity, the, the holiness of not only themselves, their bodies, um, but also kind of symbolically what they would bring into the presence of God in the tabernacle and in the temple. So because they had this very special role, they had to not participate in normal life in some ways. They were anointed. They were chosen and consecrated and inaugurated into the priest role. And it had a whole bunch of meaning of what that, you know, what did that mean as far as their everyday life and their job and how they were to present themselves to people, what they were supposed to wear, all sorts of things. So that's the priests. Priests were regularly anointed, as in it, before you became a priest, you were anointed. The other class or group of people that were anointed in the Old Testament were kings. Now this one is a little bit easier to understand and remember because it, you can see it in narratives and stories in the Bible. We see it a couple of times in 1 Samuel when Saul and David, the first two kings of Israel, are anointed. Both of them were anointed by Samuel and both of them had oil poured on them. When God tells Samuel to go anoint David, he tells him, go fill up your horn with oil because I have chosen another king. Saul knew that, what that was talking about. It wasn't something weird like oil. What do you want me to do with oil? This was a regular practice. Okay. So Saul was an anointed king. God had chosen him to be king over Israel. And then when Saul um, was disobedient to God, kind of like disregarded God's, um, just his particular instructions to Saul, um, God chose another king. He chose David. All right, so that's what an anointed one is. Uh, a Mashiach, a Messiah, a Christ. But we use Christ just in the New Testament because that's a Greek word. It is the Greek word in place of the Hebrew word Mashiach. But we don't use that Hebrew word Mashiach. We use the word Messiah. And yeah, I'm not going to get into the story of why. Um, it's, it's pointless. You don't need to worry about it, basically. So we don't use the word Messiah a whole lot, except in music in church. Um, Jesus, Messiah. So we have songs that have the word Messiah in it, but typically when we read the Bible, we don't see that a whole lot. We do see the word Christ a whole lot. So I'm going to give you some numbers for that. Anointed one. The term anointed one, as in Saul was the anointed one of God. David was the anointed one. Just that in general is used 39 times in the Old Testament. Only two of those times are referring to Jesus. Um, so the way they show that is that 37 of those 39 times, 37 out of 39, the phrase is just written out, 
the anointed one in English. When those two times are referring to Jesus, and that's in Daniel 7, we have in our English Bibles written out Messiah. Why did they do that? Uh, You have to talk to translators about that. But they wanted to make a distinction between an anointed one, somebody who had been anointed, and the special anointed one. And the way they did that was with a different term. They used anointed one, the meaning, and then they used Messiah, the actual word. So it's all legit. Don't worry about it. But there's only two times, here's my point, there's only two times in the Old Testament that the phrase or term Mashiach, the anointed one, is used in the Old Testament and is about Jesus. The rest of the time, it's about a priest or a king. And we'll, we'll talk about that even more in, in other episodes. All right, but we're going to stop with that part now and move on to the New Testament. Christ. Christ is the word that we use in the New Testament for Messiah or Mashiach. It's just the Greek word, and it has the same meaning. There's no additional context or meaning or anything really that adds a lot of significance when you bring in the Greek language and the Greek uh, culture, because Greek and Hebrew and just Near Eastern culture in general had the same idea for anointing and an anointed one as every other culture. They, they had this in, in common. It wasn't a weird concept in the Greek culture. It was different that an anointed one, a prophetic figure that was going to fulfill prophecies, was going to come around, that was unique to Judaism, unique to the Bible. But the idea of anointing, of using oil or perfume as a symbolic gesture, was not unique. Okay? So, anyway, Christ. (laughs) I went off on a tangent about Christ there. Christ in the New Testament is used 559 times. Two times in the Old Testament to mean Jesus, using Mashiach to refer to Jesus. In the New Testament, we have Christ used 559 times to refer to Jesus, and it's only referring to Jesus there. In the New Testament, Christ becomes a title, whereas in the Old Testament, Mashiach was just kind of like a a role and not necessarily a singular title, okay? So, Jesus is very well defined as the Messiah, the Christ, in the New Testament. We don't have his name, Jesus, used in the Old Testament together with Messiah or Anointed One. We don't have anywhere in the Old Testament where it's like, Jesus is the Messiah. That's not in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament... Jesus is defined and characterized as and identified as the Messiah, the Christ. The way that happens is that the New Testament uses Old Testament prophecies and interprets them for us to show that Jesus fulfilled them. Okay? This is pretty important. This is a really important point because if you don't talk about this, you have no idea how we should know that Jesus is the Messiah right? It's all within the Bible. 
And it's the Old Testament telling us who he would be and the New Testament saying, look, there he is. And this is how we know. So I'm going to go through some of the Old Testament prophecies that give us an idea of what we're supposed to look for as the Messiah. Um, You might wonder where are Messianic prophecies in the Old Testament? They're all through, all through the Old Testament. And there's nothing that's like a, a little red flag or a marker word at the beginning of a messianic prophecy for you to know, oh, this is a messianic prophecy. I really wish, I really wish they had done that. Kind of like uh, some special word like, you know, you know, you have like safe words and like uh, code words and things like that. Like every time you see the word apples in the Old Testament, you know, oh, this is a messianic prophecy. There's nothing like that. And so smarter people than me had to identify which um verses and passages were messianic prophecies and that's a whole can of worms on its own but we won't worry about that in this episode so we're going to go through and we'll start and we're going to go through as we would if we were reading through the old testament i'm going to start in genesis and then continue on and see how many different uh prophecies we have and i might have some of the minor prophets switched around but generally I'll have them in the right order. So the first, uh, one of the first, anyway, um, depending on who you talk to, uh, one of the first messianic prophecies we have is after Adam and Eve sin in the garden and eat the fruit. Now it's like, well, great, this whole project is ruined. You, you just totally ruined God's humanity. Great job, guys. But God gives them a promise that, you know, this Satan, this Nahash, this... Mm, shining one that appeared in the garden it's not a snake by the way it's a it's a nachash which is not a snake but sure it's a snake he ruined it he deceived you but eve out of your seed is going to come somebody who's going to crush satan and redeem all of this this is going to become a mess yes you are you guys are a mess but i'm going to bring somebody who's going to crush satan That's the first messianic prophecy that we have, and it's about redemption. It's about bringing humanity back to God in the way that God wanted them to relate to him. The next one that I have written down, and there's a lot, by the way. There's anywhere between 50-ish and 600-ish messianic prophecies, again, depending on who you talk to. The 600 list gets a little bit more creative, 50-ish, much more mm, appropriate. Um, And we'll talk about that again in the next episode. But I I just picked out some of the more basic prophecies that are recognizable if you even know just some of the Bible. The next one is Genesis 49. And this talks about how the... It's it's Jacob blessing his son Judah when Jacob is on his deathbed. And it basically says, Judah, you're out of your line. One of your descendants is going to be the Messiah. So it tells us about the lineage of the Messiah. Um, Another one is Daniel 7, which tells us about um, the Messiah coming on clouds of great glory. That one isn't fulfilled yet. 
That's for the second coming of Jesus, and it's talked about again in Revelation. Isaiah 7 is where we know that Jesus would be born of a virgin. Micah 5 tells us that Bethlehem is where the Messiah would be born. So we have what kind of mother he would have and his birthplace from Micah and Isaiah. And then, and in general, by the way, a lot of prophecies are in Psalms and Isaiah. So there are in a lot of different books. I know there's prophecies in at least 11 different Old Testament books. I don't know if there's more. I couldn't, you know, it's kind of hard to find a definitive list of how many messianic prophecies there are in the Old Testament. But of the lists that I saw and could agree with, at least 11 out of 39 of the Old Testament books have messianic prophecies in them. But there's a ton, like, you know, 10 plus at least in Psalms and Isaiah each. So if you ever want to do a study on messianic prophecies, It'd be interesting to go through either Psalms or Isaiah and just look at the Messianic prophecies in there because they're loaded with them. But neither of those books are purely about the Messiah. And Psalms especially, it's a psalm book. It's a it's a song book. It's a hymnal. It's the Jewish hymnal. So it's kind of odd that the songs would be a lot of Messianic prophecy. But then again, what else would you want to sing about, <laughs> you know? It's a hopeful idea. Um, one of the other uh, passages I have written down is Isaiah 53. And this one, I'm just going to read a big chunk of it because I have a point to make about it. So if you kind of zone out while I'm reading, no biggie. But I just want you to know which, which passage I'm talking about. Because this is one of the ones that is most clearly identified with Jesus a lot of the time by evangelicals. And I'll explain why I'm reading it in a, in a minute. So Isaiah 53, and this is called the suffering servant passage or the suffering servant um, prophecy. I'm not reading the whole chapter, but he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So this is about... You know, this is about Jesus. This is about the Messiah. Um, the Jews don't necessarily think so. Uh, if you're Jewish, you may not believe that this is about the Messiah. But Christians, Protestants, Catholics readily agree that this is about Jesus. Now, if you'll note, there's no mention of a Messiah or an anointing in that passage. So a lot of Messianic passages are deemed messianic or you know they're thought of as being messianic because of the content because of what the person is doing or the context of the chapter this suddenly just kind of changes topics and they were talking about this guy and him suffering and taking sins who takes sins nobody takes sins except for the chosen one of god who would take sins 
we know as Christians that anybody that takes sins has to be God. Only God can change the state of humanity. Only God can forgive sins. So that's an easy way to identify that messianic prophecy as being about a Messiah because we know that Jesus is also the Son of God, that he is equal to God, and that only God can forgive sins. So that's how, one of the ways that we're like, oh, that has to be a messianic prophecy. Only God can forgive sins. This has to be about God, but also a man. Who fits that description? Jesus. All right, so that segues us right into how do we know Jesus is the Messiah? I don't know when this information might come in handy for you, but you know, if you're a doubtful kind of person or somebody that just deals with your brain thinking too much about things, you might once in a while, you know, have a problem with faith and just keeping your brain fully settled on Jesus being the Messiah and the validity of the Bible, and all these different things. How do we know? How do we know that Jesus is the Messiah? I have five, six, six-ish different passages in here that tell us, in the New, and they're all in the New Testament, about how we know Jesus is the Messiah, okay? The first one is John 4, and this is when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman by the well. He's traveling with his disciples, and he's alone at the well. And we usually talk about this passage when we want to show that Jesus was very considerate of Samaritans, and he went out of his way to talk to this woman. And, you know, there's different points that you can make about this. But one of the points that you can make is that she says, she talks about the Messiah, and she says, you know, us Samaritans too are looking forward to a Messiah. And Jesus says to her, I am he. He doesn't use the word Messiah, but he says, that's me. So Jesus himself tells her, and John writes it down. How does he know this story? Jesus must have told him the story later on. But he, he says, I'm the Messiah. That's me. In Matthew 16... Jesus asked Peter, who do you think I am? And we was like, Peter, who am I? And Peter says to Jesus, you're the Christ. And, and Jesus says, you're right. He again doesn't use the word Messiah, but Peter does. He says, you're the Christ, which is just the Greek word for Messiah. And Jesus said, yep, you are correct. I have another one here and it's Luke 4. And this is kind of the um, kind of the first day of Jesus' uh, public ministry. This is when he's in the synagogue in Capernaum, and he's given the scroll of Isaiah to read. And so he gets or sits down, right? Sits down <clears throat> or stands up. <laughs> I forget which. And he reads from the scroll. And he reads a portion of it, and he doesn't finish the passage, but part of what he reads is that the Lord has anointed me, and blah, blah, blah. And it talks about the things that the Messiah would be anointed to do. And note the word anoint. Here we finally use the word anoint, and I looked it up in Greek, and it's basically just the verb for, form of the word Christ. He, he Christ christened christened me christed me christened christened we have the word in english and 
Um, so he reads that, that the Lord has anointed me. And Isaiah is writing in the first person, but it's a prophecy. All right, so it's saying, um, the Lord has anointed me, and it's, you know, to preach to the, I think, preach to the poor. Um, and it's all these, you know, great things that the Messiah would do. And Jesus stopped short of reading the whole thing. And then he um, hands the scroll back to the guy in charge of the scroll. And then he sits down and then he says, today this is fulfilled in your saying, in your, sorry, in your hearing. And he's basically saying, this is coming true today. I am the anointed one. And they would know, they would know what that meant. So Jesus is saying in a synagogue in Capernaum, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the anointed one. Um, we have a couple of other places in the New Testament that it's not Jesus talking, but it's the New Testament writers explaining messianic prophecy. Both Matthew 8 and John 12 talk about Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53 is that longer passage that I read. He's despised and rejected by men. That one, the suffering servant one, both Matthew 8 and John 12 say, Isaiah was talking about Jesus. Okay, so both Matthew and John tell us, explain to us, identify for us who the passage was talking about. In the same way, Jesus talks about coming back again, um, his second coming, so that he he is the one that gives us the idea that, oh, not all of the prophecies are fulfilled because he has to come back again to fulfill more of them. And Revelation tells us a bit about how Daniel 7 will be fulfilled in Jesus' second coming. So while we don't have all of the prophecies fulfilled about Jesus, we do have information about how they will be fulfilled. And just like uh, Old Testament prophecies were not easy for, say, the disciples to understand, Revelation, we shouldn't assume that we should just understand Revelation um, if, you know, Old Testament prophets didn't understand their own prophecy, uh, we're not any smarter than those guys. We have a lot more information. We already know who the Messiah is, but prophecy is hard to understand. And that's, that's part of, <laughs> that's prophecy. It's not, it's a, <laughs> it's not necessarily supposed to be understood because it's about the future that we haven't seen yet. Okay. That's the definition of prophecy. By the way, this is the best definition I've ever heard of prophecy, or maybe the purpose of prophecy. And that is that if even if you don't understand prophecy, that's okay. We're not dummies or um, being lazy or ignorant if we don't understand prophecy. And I'm talking about future prophecy. And you know, even past prophecy, we don't even know. Maybe there's a third um, fulfillment of all prophecies and we just don't know it. Anyway, that's not my point. My point is that when we're talking about prophecy, one of the purposes of prophecy is to give us a heavenly perspective of what we're going through on earth. It's to give us a heavenly perspective, to let us know that there is a heavenly perspective. And so that we don't have to just run around thinking, well, this is it. And if this is it and I don't like it, well, I guess, you know, life is over. Pr 
prophecy is to give us a heavenly perspective on our earthly situations. We don't understand all of it, and that's okay. So I'm going to go through now. Sorry for my sidebar there. <laughs> my little, little soapbox on prophecy. I'm going to go through now and give a coherent uh, and altogether little description of what the Messiah is, what he was prophesied to be, and what we know he is because we know he's Jesus and the things that we know because of prophecy, okay? So I, I wrote this down, so I'm just going to read it off. So I, I would not remember all these things off the top of my head. The Messiah was a special figure who would come from the line of David, descended from Judah, be born in Bethlehem of a virgin, and spend some time in Egypt. He would be a prophet and a king, and he would come to set things right in Israel to bring, to bring peace, prosperity, and righteousness, while also suffering, being ridiculed, and dying. He would then resurrect and ride humbly on a donkey. I wrote those ones out of order, but you get the point. He would also have a messenger precede him, one that was like Elijah, and he would rule and reign over the nations with a rod of iron. So you can see where some of these have not been fulfilled yet. Ruling and reigning over the nations with a rod of iron, that's mentioned in the Psalms, and again in Revelation. That's one that we do not have fulfilled yet because Jesus is not on earth ruling the nations. Um, most of the rest of them are fulfilled. He rode on a donkey into Jerusalem. He resurrected. He was ridiculed. He suffered. Did he bring peace and prosperity and righteousness? Um, I'm going to say peace and prosperity, no. <laughs> he even, Jesus even said, I did not come to bring peace. And that's okay. It, it didn't like break prophecy or anything because he's coming again and the second one will bring peace and prosperity. But righteousness, did he bring righteousness? Did he bring a right way of living with God? Absolutely. Let's see some others. Was he born in Bethlehem? Yep. Descended from Judah? Uh-huh. Line of David? Yep. Be a prophet and a king? Um, if you want to be very literal, which I see no problem with, he is a, he was a prophet. He is a king in a literal sense on a throne though. No, that one hasn't happened yet. Um, did he have a messenger precede him that was like Elijah? Yeah. John the Baptist even dressed like Elijah, but he also came, uh, and this is, um, in Matthew, he came in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. They kind of, uh, resembled each other. So hopefully this gives you a good idea of how messianic prophecy works. Um, the Old Testament gives us the information, the prophecies, and then the New Testament tells us how to interpret those prophecies. Jesus gives us several different places where he declares himself to be the Messiah. And then we have New Testament writers that give us direct information of, yes, this was a messianic prophecy and Jesus fulfilled it. And then we have books like Revelation that tell us these prophecies are yet to be fulfilled in Jesus' second coming. Okay, so that's the Christian Messiah, the Messiah that we believe to be Jesus, the Messiah that we believe is coming a second time, and yeah, 
it's it's Jesus. Next episode, we're going to talk about the Jewish Messiah. So that, if you're a Christian, you can just kind of think of that as looking at the Messiah without assuming that it's Jesus. And just looking at the information in kind of like a raw way without interpreting it through the Jesus lens, if you want to call it that. All right. So I hope... Yeah, I think I end this up the same way every single time. I hope you learn something. But seriously, I hope you learn something. Like, uh, this Messiah stuff is really dense, really interesting. And it's just really cool to find out how, how we do what we do as Christians. How do we know what we know? Um, without just saying, oh, it's faith. Well, you know, we, we need to know how we know what we know. Did that make sense? I hope that made sense. Anyway, okay. I'm done for now. I hope you guys have a great day and I'll see you next time. Bye.